Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. But when you buy the brand, the brand will always remember six Super Bowls. It's unparalleled yeah. in history. Both parties have to represent the future for both parties. The crafts about what they, their impact on all this, which is significant. And same thing with Belichick as they move forward. So it, it's got to be handled the right way. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VEASAN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, a lot to get to here on the pod. Four weeks left of the regular season. But before we get into everything, many are asking, did we put the kibosh on the Green Bay Packers having Big Daddy come on the pod and a week after they go ahead and lose to Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito, and the New wow. York Giants on Monday Night Football. We just had to touch on that quickly because, I mean, the people are wondering, how's Big Daddy holding up after what happened Monday night? Oh, I'm going to tell you how Big Daddy's holding up. I mean, the game was – the game, the ball had just gotten kicked off, right? And and uh, and uh, let me see here. Let's see here. Uh, okay. The ball just got kick off, kicked off, and he said, missed another open receiver. This is going to be a long night. And that was in the first quarter. And then it went on. It just went on. You know, I just have a feeling, you know, it's you got to love our special teams. We stink. You know, LaFuck is the worst. I mean, Dylan is slow. I mean, what are we doing running him? LaFuck working his magic. How many, how many, how many times are we going to run jet sweep? I mean, is that all he knows? I mean, it just went on and on and on. And, and you couldn't argue with him. No. I mean, I couldn't fight back on him because I was watching Joe Barry. See, the problem you have in this, in this league is the lack of divergent thinking. Like, you're playing Tommy DeVito, right? You're in your meeting room on Tuesday. And instead of thinking, instead of watching the plays DeVito runs, you should be in the room saying, what are they thinking? And you would say to yourself, ask people in the room that have experience. Well, if I were Brian Daybolt, I'd run the quick game, okay? If I were Brian Daybolt, I'd run the single wing. i run quarterback runs, i do that. If I were Brian Daybolt, I would try to do this. And then you go ahead and game plan based on that, not based on what they did the last three weeks. But see, Barry doesn't do that. He just is like, okay, whatever the last three games are, I'm going to plan. Hey, in second and eight, they like to run this. Okay, I'm going to call this. In second and four, they run this, I call this. Like at some point, you got a game plan to the game and you got to think, how are they going to play us? Like, I don't want to jump ahead here, but like Minnesota's playing Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Okay. So it's a perfect game for, for Brian Flores knows that Zach Taylor hates to run the ball. He hates it. He don't want to call runs. He's not a run game guy. So it's screens, it's bubbles, it's all those things that replace the outside run. I'm, you got to prepare yourself for 45 passes at least. Detroit's playing Denver. Denver knows Denver's only thrown the ball 38 times, the most they have all year, and that was in the Miami game. So they don't really want to throw the ball, but they have to because if you go back and watch the Minnesota game when they couldn't run the ball in Minnesota, that was the second most passing attempts they had. So if you're Aaron Glenn, you know get ready for you're going to get more of Russell Wilson than you saw in the last two weeks, three weeks. Follow me? Yeah. So you got to plan for what are you going? how are they going to play us? And that was like an indictment of Barry. Like it was no, he didn't plan on how they were going to play us. It was not, not divergent. Like make this guy throw the ball down the field, take away the rhythm passing game. It was like when he scrambles for 71 yards on seven carries, like what are we doing? He would have never got on the plane back to Las Vegas or to Oakland if Al Davis owned the, the Packers. 
Yeah, it, it was a, a bad situation for the Green Bay Packers. And a, a game entering that one, it was all out in front of them. It's like Detroit loses to Chicago. The Packers had a chance to maybe make a run at the North. They lose that game. And now they're just hoping to maybe get into the playoffs as a wild card sitting at six and seven. But you mentioned Al Davis and you mentioned the Raiders. Let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders here because they play tonight, Thursday night football. It's a doozy. Yeah. It's Easton Stick versus Aiden O'Connell. Right now, the Raiders three-point favorites at home, total 34 and a half. But something that you wanted to talk about was more macro with the silver and black here, the notion of the Raider way and what you see right now from the Raiders over this past decade plus and the, how they're not really fulfilling what was set out before them under Al Davis. Well, let's get something straight. The Raider way doesn't exist. There's no Raider way. I mean, the last time they won a Super Bowl was 1983. Since that time, they're a 44% win percentage team. The last time we went to the Super Bowl was 02, and they're a 37% win percentage team. So when Antonio Pierce, who grew up in Compton, that's, a gr- that's great. He talks the Raider way. Well, he doesn't even remember the game that they won the Super Bowl in. For 40 years, this franchise has been below 500. They've had 18 head coaches since they've won the Super Bowl. So they're a brand. They're not a way. Everybody loves the brand, silver and black. Yeah. And they've done such a great job of branding the team, silver and black, that they got a generation of people that quote the Raider way that have never seen winning. I mean, Pierce was born in 78, I think, or 75. I think he was five years old. So he was born 78. Like, he's, he's experienced below 500 football when he cites the Raider way. The Raider way is really something that is a brand. It's about the emblem. And look, I love it. It, it, It's been wonderful to my family. Three years there that we won, it was great. And I respect it and I understand it. But I also know the way. Because in 92, when I was working in Cleveland, I had a meeting with Al Davis who sat down and said to me, look, you know, I need somebody to come in here. Ron Wolf was gone to run, to change, to modernize what we're doing, to take this organization to another level, to the updated. And that was in 92. I was working in Cleveland. And yeah, I listened and nothing came of it. Then when I, ne- when I was getting ready to leave Cleveland in 95, that conversation happened again at the Cleveland Clinic of all places where he was having some procedure done. And, and then when I went out there, there was no, there was no, nobody wanted to change. But the Raider way that I understand from him directly is about team building. It's about the art of team building. It's not from where you're from, Compton. It's, it's about how do you build a team that can sustain excellence. It's about being a great defensive line. It's about being a great offensive line. It's about having a quarterback that can tilt the field. But they've lost their way. And so, in the, and I said this when I was there, in the 60s and the 70s, when the players kind of, was, it was a player's game, the players controlled the game, okay? There wasn't chess on grass. As we've moved to more of a coaching game, you're giving the players all this influence and the lack of discipline, the lack of, of really being into what it takes to be a championship-level team, it has, has gone away, and there is no way. It's a brand. And I'm not saying this because my son got fired. My other son's still there. I would say this to Mark Davis himself. Like, I would say, Mark, you need to go out and hire somebody who understands your father, who understands size and speed, who understands how to build a football team, and then hire people within the organization that can adhere to that philosophical nature, that's good at game management, that understands game management. Because your father taught everybody game management. He taught everybody how to play complementary football. He taught everybody that's been great at it the essence of how to win. You need to find somebody that can do that for you. And, and I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm not go, I don't want to go back into football again. I'm done with that. But my point yeah, we need is to hear. That's, that's what he needs. That's what he needs. And he's searching. They light that torch every week. And they hired Gruden back for the second stint. Gruden knows nothing about the Raider way. He's picking players that have nothing to do with the Raider way. They have nothing to do with the Raider way. Like there was no team building. The Raider way is about size and speed. It started in Brooklyn with the Yankees and the Dodgers. So to me, 
I keep hearing this. You're, when you say Raider Way, you say a brand. Because there's a generation of people. If you're younger than 40 years old, you've never seen the Raiders dominate. You've never seen it. You've seen, because of Madden, it's gotten promoted above. You've seen the tuck. You've seen the, you've seen the, the, the immaculate reception. You've not seen good football for 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's been just moments, like splashes. Like I remember like the 2002 team when you were there, when they could go into the Super Bowl and all that stuff. But ever since then, it has been nothing that has been successful here. They made the playoffs a couple of years ago, but we all know how that team kind of got there. It wasn't quite really a playoff team, even though they were in the dance there. But you mentioned like Mark Davis, he needs to hire somebody who understands it. Shouldn't he understand? Like, I mean, he's like, like he's been a part of this with his, his dad and like everything. Like you would yeah. think that he would have kind of, uh, I guess, learned something along the way to where it's like, I, I find it funny that like, he doesn't really get it essentially. Well, I think he, you know, part of it is, is he needs to be reminded. And I know we got to go to break here, but, but for me, uh, you know, for me, it's really about understanding how to build a team. It's understanding where to put your resources. It's, and when the game changed, when we went from two backs to one, one back spread the field, you know, that was a problem for Al, but, but his core beliefs in offensive and defensive linemen, look, when we, the Raider way, when we won was Rich Gannon. I don't, nobody's going to argue that with me. His commitment to being the best, his willingness to drive everybody was the culture within the building. Once we lost him, we lost our culture. It just, everything fell apart. It all fell apart. He was the reason we won. And he was the reason we were able to get back on track. But I don't think Mark understands it. When he reached for Gruden, he didn't really understand. That's not team building. John's never was very good at the draft. John was never good at building a team. John's good at calling offensive plays. That's what he did. He's good at setting up an offense. That's what he's good at doing. But he's not good at building a team. And they've gone through draft picks. And look, I'll say the same thing about Josh. He, was, he didn't do a good job of building a team either. The Raider way wouldn't beat a, Al Davis as much as he might have loved Devontae Adams. He would have not signed off on that deal because Devontae didn't have – he didn't tilt the field. Could you imagine you paid all that for Devontae Adams and you could have had Tyreek Hill for less? Now, they wouldn't have traded him to you probably, but that's the guy he would have given up everything for. That's the receiver he would have given up, not Devontae Adams. And I'm not saying Devontae's a bad player, but he wouldn't fit the criteria. See, it goes back to the criteria. It goes back to the criteria again. And, and that's where they don't even understand it. They don't even understand it. I mean, you, I don't think Champ Kelly knows the criteria. Does he understand what it was, what it takes to build a team like that, that he had with power, those great Raider teams, I don't see it. Yeah, and it always comes up every time around the combine, like when we talk about guys with height, weight, speed, and it's like, oh, Al Davis would have loved that guy. Like, like do, you, do you kind of get that? Like when you, I remember when we were doing yeah. the draft show a couple of years ago and we were talking about Jordan Davis, it's like, oh, this would have been an Al Davis guy, like height, weight, speed, like planet theory kind of a prospect. And that doesn't seem to be the what the Raiders are going towards, at least as of late here. But no, I mean, no, they, they like, if, like they're, he would have never passed Carter. He would have picked Carter. Yeah. Carter's pretty good. You see him running down the sidelines on Sunday night? <laughs> that's, that's pretty freaky for a guy to be able to do that. All right, we'll get to more of the Raider Way discussion as well as Thursday Night Football on the other side. This is the GM Show. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 
expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So at the recent winter meetings for the NFL down in Dallas, Mark Davis spoke with Tashawn Reed over at The Athletic and had this to say about what he's trying to create with this Raiders organization. Said he's, quote, I'm getting good at it. You got to get it right. You got to get the whole structure right so that everybody's working together. The left hand has to know what the right hand is doing. That's the goal to start with getting people with passion for football and people who are unafraid to work. It's not a nine to five job. It's an eight days a week job is what Mark Davis said said and i mean what are your what's your interpretation of that comment there because i mean i don't think that there was a lack of work ethic amongst the raiders it's just maybe they they just didn't have the right people in place well i I think working together is interesting because i think to me you know do we really need to work with the marketing program i mean al al was all about football everything in the raider building was football It, it it really could care he didn't care about anything other than football it was what was in the benefit of the football you know we didn't even announce player signings you know, I, I think to me, it was all about how can we make this team better? And it was never about a collaborative effort because, I mean, you've heard the story. I think Ron Wolf tells the story all the time where Ron wanted to draft a certain player in the first round and I wanted to take Gene Upshaw and, you know, and, and Ron left the room to go call the guy he was going to call. And on the card comes up, Raiders select Gene Upshaw from Texas A&I. <laughs> so, like, it's always been his pick, right? And Ron was – look, Ron was the last guy in, of a long list of people that really understood the Raider way because Ron was really good at evaluating players. And Ron was a size-speed aficionado. Ron was also understood the value of offensive and defensive linemen. He wanted to have big – I mean, everything he did in Green Bay was the Raider way. Right. And it was all predicated on his ability to evaluate talent. And really, that's been the lack, in, including over the last two years, their inability to correctly evaluate talent, their inability to correctly evaluate the team and understand how to build a winning football team. I mean, that's really the, what Mark needs to understand is you have to find an architect because the design of your building is screwed up. You know, once you find an architect, then you need to find then then that architect will allow you to bring everybody together but it's hard to build culture when you're trying to collaborate initially culture is created through a shared vision a shared vision and so when Josh goes in there a lot of the players didn't share his vision it was too hard it was too difficult you know we couldn't do this we couldn't do that and if the players have a direct ability to talk to the owner or if the alumni are so strong in their opinions about the team and they're conveying them to Mark and then Mark's reacting to them, that's not culture either. So what he needs is he needs a, he needs somebody to handle it, that he has enough confidence and faith in that, that can run the team and align the team through culture Alignment is only going to occur through shared visions. It's just fact. Do you think there's anybody out there who still understands the Raider way? No. I think there's very few people that do. You know, I think there's very few that do. I think there's very few that Mark would trust to do it. You know, I mean, I think partly because Mark is like David Tepper and other people. He listens to too many people, you know, and and Mark's got to be reminded about, like, Here's where you're, this is what your dad would have done. I'm not saying his dad was right all the time because we, and I'm not saying I was right all the time, by no means. We argued back and forth. But his dad had an ability to understand how to build teams. And that hasn't gotten lost over time. His ability to want to be the dominant team in the trenches. You know, having great defensive linemen, taking Howie Long in the second round when everybody thought that that was way too early. You know, being able to take Chester McLaughlin and add him to a team that already had good defense alignment. I mean, the Raiders were what the Eagles are today before the Eagles were. They actually helped guide the Eagles. The Raider way was the advancement of scouting. That's how I got so involved with scouting. That's why I fell in love with scouting, because I read so much about Al Davis and the Raider way. Size, speed, understanding how to build a team. You know, making sure characters defined by football, not character defined by you know, if are you nice to the media? Those things. And then we got into the drug era, which kind of messed up the character evaluations quite a bit, 
where Al kind of thought he could control certain certain elements in a player's life that he couldn't, and that be, and which all of us did, you know. In the 60s and 70s, it was a different culture than in the 80s and 90s in terms of drugs and all those things. So I, I think that's that's been really hard. And how to build the team is is going to be the core. And you don't you're not going to get that from who's he going to hire that's going to bring him that. You're going to have to find somebody that does it. And then he's got to be able to say, I embrace it. Because he's got to stop talking about the Raider way. It's the Raider brand you're talking about, not a way. Last note on this, this offseason, it will be the fifth time that Mark Davis is hiring a head coach and the fourth time that he's hiring a general manager since 2012. So it's been a lot of turnover out there in Oakland, now in Las Vegas, and we'll see what happens it, with the silver and it, black. It, it's proof that that he doesn't he doesn't find anybody that knows the way. Like, he doesn't find anybody that knows the way. I mean, you know, I've sent them both of my books. I don't know if he's gotten them or not. But in my books, they're there. it's there. All he's got to do is find somebody who wants to adhere to that. And it's not me, but it's somebody who wants to do that. Well, let's talk about the team that they're playing tonight here on Thursday Night Football. That's the Los Angeles Chargers. Season now over for their quarterback, Justin Herbert, after he went ahead and had surgery on his broken finger. So no Herbert. Keenan Allen's also out in this game here on Thursday. And to me, it kind of feels like Head coach Brandon Staley is probably just playing out the string on the final four games of the season here. Like, do you think that we're just headed towards eventually Staley and the Chargers part ways? Or is there some kind of scenario to where we see Staley actually the head coach of the Chargers in 2024? No, I, I, I think Staley's done. I think it's over with. I think I think a lot of this is going to be coming from behind the scenes. Here's what happens to these t- to make owners and make change is when the best player on the team, Justin Herbert, his representations are kind of involved in what's wrong with the team. And I think, to me, those questions have been dangled and asked out in the community by quite a lot of people. Like, why can't the Chargers win? Like, what's wrong with the Chargers? You know, why do they have this generational talent at quarterback and, and yet, you know, they, they can't seem to win? And I think the relationship, nobody will admit this, but it's rumored and I'll use it as rumor, that Herbert is fed up with Staley. So if that is the case, which I truly believe is, then his agency will get involved with the front office of the, of the Chargers, and I don't know if that means Tom Telesco or not, but then that'll get word back to Spanos and where he's going to have to make a decision. And they're going to have to figure out. See, the bigger issue for the Chargers is to figure out what's wrong. Most people are just going to say, what's wrong with the Chargers is we just got to get Herbert to play better. That's the easy answer. That's the answer that Millie can give you, right? The, the harder answer is somewhere deeper than that. Yes, you need. You need somebody who can play complementary football. You need somebody who's going to build an offense that has toughness that when we leave this place, we can win right-handed or left-handed. We need a defense that can complement our offense but also compete with the Kansas City Chiefs. See, the Raider way also, as we get back to that, is how do we win the division? How do we win? What do we have to do with this team to win the division? How do we beat Kansas City? That was his whole focus was how do we win the division? How do we set up the team to beat Kansas City or to beat the teams we have to play? That's why he tried to trade for John Elway. I write about it in my new book. You know, he was desperate to trade. for. He thought he had Elway because he tilted the field. Now he got he got screwed at the last minute, and the Broncos got him, which was in his crawl for the rest of his life. But that's what the Chargers have to do: is why? What do we have to do to win this thing? And it's not we got to make Herbert play better. It's it's way deeper than that. So you talk about how deep it is. I mean, obviously, I would imagine it starts with a head coach who can kind of implement and put that kind of imprint on this team and say, "Hey, we got to play complementary football." From an offensive play calling standpoint, maybe we can improve there as well. But do you think that the Chargers, because I think everyone's going to want to see this team hire an offensive head coach. Does it have to be that? Or can it just be somebody who just understands culture from a more macro standpoint? I mean, look, look, let's go back to Peyton Manning. You know, when they fired Jim Mora, they they went and hired a defensive coach. Right? They hired Tony Dungy. And, and And I think, and look, they've hired a defensive coach. They've tried this way, right? And they're going to sit there and say, well, we need an offensive guy. No, what you need is, is somebody who understands how to fix the offense, fix the defense, fix the kicking game. 
and fix the personnel because I think one of the other misconceptions about this Charger team is how talented they are. Yeah. They have some really talented players, but they're not a talented team. They don't wow you with talent. And I think that's going to be the the issue. I think they got to find somebody that can kind of bring everything together. Is And I don't think they should limit themselves to an offensive coach or a defensive coach. I think they should hire the best leader that they can hire. I mean, look, they hired Kellen Moore, and that was supposed to be the greatest hire since since really we've invented sliced bread. I mean, look at it. And poor Joe Lombardi, he got run out of town, right? I mean, like they were better with Joe than they were with they were they were with Staley. I mean, with Moore, I mean, they couldn't run the, the same problems Joe faced: lack of toughness, lack of run game. The reason in the second half, when he starts the second half off, and, and Joe's no relation to me. I know Joe. I like Joe. I'm not, I'm not trying to side here. I'm just stating facts. When Joe, was, when Joe started the second half against Jacksonville, he tried to run the ball. He lost three yards. Like They had no physicality to their team. They had no physical back. So then he threw it nine times in a row, and all of a sudden Jacksonville gets back in the game. I think, to me, that's kind of where we're going with this thing, right? Like, you got to figure out that the issue with this offseason is What's the problem, and how do we solve it? Dallas Cowboys, your team. Mike McCarthy saw the problem. He said, I can fix it better than Kellen Moore can. Out more in me. Yeah, and it's been a big boost for the Dallas Cowboys here. I think mean, we always talk about kind of attractions in terms of like how attractive is a job. This has to be like at the top of the list, right? Like as a head coach, getting a chance to work with Justin Herbert and that kind of team, like that's a great foundation. Now, obviously, you have to fix some other things talent-wise across the board, and you have to implement toughness and all that stuff. But I mean, if you got Justin Herbert, that's a great starting point, and I'd imagine it's really attractive for anybody out there looking for a head coaching job. Well, if you're David Tepper, you're saying to yourself, whoever I think is the best offensive coach, I'm probably going to lose them to, to the Chargers. And it's not about money. Would I rather coach Justin Herbert or would I rather coach Bryce Young in this mess here that people call the Hunger Games called the Carolina Panthers? I think he <laughs> loses that one. So if you think you're going to get Ben Johnson and there's only, you know, then you're not going to get him because he's going to take the job with the quarterback that he knows he can get. Be interesting to see what the Spanos do, but you got to ask. You got to ask the right question to get the right answer. Hundred percent. On the other side, we will get to the topic in Foxborough. Is Bill Belichick done in New England? We answer it next. Feels like every Thursday pod, we're talking about something Patriots related with what's been going on here with this New England season. And uh, this time, hey, they're coming off of a victory, actually, after beating the Pittsburgh Steelers last Thursday night. But NBC Sports Boston's Tom Curran, who uh, I believe is a friend of the pod. I think he listens to the podcast, or at least he follows both of us. He reported earlier this week that Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, already made the decision to make a change and part ways with Bill Belichick after their Week 10 loss to the Colts in Germany. This is what Curran said, quote, when they came out of Germany, conversations I had that week made it very clear that a decision was made, they were going to play out the string, and at the end of the year, there would be a parting of the ways for a variety of reasons. He also added that the parting of ways could be a de facto trade of Belichick to a new team here, and Belichick was asked about it by reporters on Wednesday, and he said, quote, getting ready for Kansas City, who the Patriots play Sunday afternoon but is this report from Tom Curran is this signal or is this noise no I I think there's got to be some merit to it I think certainly when you listen to Mr. Kraft's interview at at before the the Colt game in Germany how much importance he put on it and then I think the caveat also was that what Tom put in his report that there's no way they're going to fire Bill Belichick during the season so with that coming out, and then you know you're place you're playing Kansas City, and you're a, a touchdown or more dog in the game at home, you know, then he basically put an end to anybody asking him the question: Are you going to fire Belichick after this game? You know, I mean, that's really what the timing of all these reports are always so critical. Like if Tom knew this after the Germany game, then on the bye week he easily could have said it, or. Or before the game after the bye, he could have said it, right? When they get ready to play the Giants, he could have broke that on the Sunday. But he waited until now to use it because, you know, I mean, they just won a game. And I think that, you know, this that it allows them to basically, essentially the report is we're not firing Belichick during the season. Now, I said this and I believe this. I think at the both since both men have had so much success together, 
there'll be a meeting of the minds at the end of the year. And in that meeting, I think both of them will have a discussion about what's best for the future of the Patriots. You know, where are we as a team? We lost seven games by seven points or less. We have the worst field goal kicker in the National Football League, 32nd, makes 66% of his kicks. Easily could have won some games. I mean, Nick Folks, uh, you know, we traded Nick Folks away because we needed the younger kicker to kick off all those things. Don't have a quarterback, trying to play without one. I mean, there's a lot of areas where people tend to exaggerate how bad they are. And, you know, they are bad. They're thir- three and 10, but they're not, they're not to where people think. And, you know, they lost so many close games. They're not to winning a lot of those close games because of some injuries and other things. So, look, I, I think if Bill Belichick is available, I'm sure there should be a lot of teams that make phone calls. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of teams will make phone calls there for Bill Belichick to be their next head coach. But we've always talked about how Robert Kraft has to ask the right question at the end of the season. And that question has always been, can Bill Belichick be the guy to get us out of this funk over the last couple of years here? When he asked that question, and if he's being objective about it, do you think that he would come to the conclusion of yes or no? Or is that something that only Kraft would know what that actually answer is? Well, I, I think it's – I think – he would know. Obviously, Kraft belongs to the Hall of Fame for hiring and winning as many games. He hired a great coach when everybody said not to hire him, and they've won six Super Bowls with him. So that's Hall of Fame worthy. And, you know, the question he has to ask is, do we want to continue down this road? Do I want to have a coach that has all the authority that I've given him that he's earned? Do I want that back now? Or do I want to continue going down that way? Do I think I need a more collaborative effort? I think that's really the conversation. Do I want to continue down that road or do I want a collaborative effort? Do I want to bring somebody in to perhaps oversee some elements of the football operation and take some of that away and let Bill focus on coaching? I think that is. And then Bill has to react to that. You know, like, what do you, who do you have in mind? What do you want to do? All those things. So there's a lot of things that go in. And then where are we going in three or four years? Because, look, they have a ton of cap room next year. They're going to have a high draft pick. They're going to have a new quarterback. I think even, even during the middle of the season, say in October, I think there was a feeling that they could save Mac. I think now that you've gone through week 14 of the season, I don't think you can really say you're going to save Mac. I don't say, I'm not saying they're going to cut Mac, but I think there, there is – Mac's lost the confidence of everybody, and they're going to need to draft a quarterback. So – I think that comes down to the question. And then, you know, when they put that trade caveat in there, I mean, that's a decision that only Mr. Kraft can make. Do I trade him? Or if, if, I, if I want a new coach, I, I have to fire him. I mean, I can't just reassign him and tell him to work in the postal service, right? <laughs> so, like, it's gonna, you're going to have to have it both ways here. Look, here's, what, here's the other thing I'd say. I think... Bill still, want, I think he wants to coach. I think he's at the top, still at the top of his game. He has tremendous energy. Don't take it from me. Take it from the, what the players have said. Ask Matthew Slater. He's made comments about it. Ask Julian, uh, ask uh, Peppers, you know. Yeah, Jabril I mean, Peppers, yeah. Jabril Peppers, ask him. I mean, so, like, that's not, a, that's not the conversation. I think, ultimately, if you're looking for somebody and that, that still wants to do it, and I don't think it's about chasing Shula, I think it's, he's in love with the work. I think he loves the work. Whether he's playing Kansas City at 3-10 and 10, or if he was 10-3, and 3, I think the same work is the same work. So you said that he really wants to coach still. Does he still want to have like, front office control and be personnel guy? Like, Is that a situation? Do you think that he would sign up for a gig to where, hey, we're not going to give you the personnel control, but we want you to be our head coach? Is that something he would sign up for? I can't speak for him, but I mean, what personnel guy is going to walk in the room with enough confidence and clout and say, Bill, we're doing this? Like, you know, like who's going to do that? Who has enough confidence to say that? And then who's on the same page with him philosophically? Who, who understands it? Because he's still coaching the team. You know, if you want to go in there and draft a 5'9 linebacker and sit, think he's going to play with them, you're, you're going to waste your draft pick. You know? Yeah. So, like, that you you got to have to get you know Mark Davis talked about getting everybody on the same page. Well, if if you're going to do that, I mean, look, I, here's what I do know. Bill's one of the greatest listeners of all time. If you make the argument in a in a very concise and with factual way, I mean, he's not a he's not a dictator. I mean, he takes a lot of information in and he processes it based on your ability to evaluate, based on your ability to sell it. So. 
I, I don't think that would be the case if he went to another team, you know, and he thought that the person that was running the personnel department was in tune and in line with him. I don't think he'd have any problem listening to that, especially if the guy had a track record. I've never asked you this, but I feel like because there's been so much of these reports that have come out over the past month or so, it's an appropriate question, is that in 2024, will Bill Belichick be the head coach of the New England Patriots? Yes or no? Uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet on to be determined. Mm. I don't think it's as – and I think Tom Curran has great sources. And I, and I don't think he would have put that report out there just on a, on a tangent. But I think there's a lot of hurdles to go through. His contract, where does he want to go? Do they want to trade him? What's in that? You know, see, Sean McVay – excuse me, Sean Payton. Well, you have to understand that Sean Payton retired – so his contract got told. Okay. So the Saints still owned one year on his contract. They couldn't do any he couldn't do anything unless he got approval from the Saints because he retired. He didn't he quit. It, so Bill, if they want to keep Bill, then they keep him. If they want to f- get rid of Bill, they're going to have to fire him. If they want to trade Bill, then now it gets a little bit of, of sticky. Now it becomes a little bit of, okay, you're going to need some cooperation or you're going to need to read the language of the contract. You know, I don't think you can reassign a Hall of Fame coach, the second winningest coach of all time, to the mailroom. I don't think you can do that. Maybe Bill wants to do what we do. We saw him on game day last Saturday. He was <laughs> good on that one. He was good. He was yeah. good. Yeah. You think you want to do some but, media? You know, the, the other th- factor in this is it's they've been together a long time. And you know, and I know, when you have been a partnership for so long, you know, maybe change is good for everybody. Maybe change is good for everybody. And I think there's a bigger issue to at play here is, is if they do make a change, you're not going to change the six Super Bowl wins. You're not going to change the impact that he's made on the franchise. You're not going to change the winning tradition that's been established in New England. So, and I think Robert Kraft knows all those things. So how you handle this is really important. Because he's been so important to the franchise. I mean, this isn't just, I'm going to get rid of Brendan Staley, who's not won any games for me. This is, you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach. And these divorces tend to get a little messy at times. But when you think of five years from now, or you think about when they dedicate a statue in front of, in front of, 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 of Gillette Stadium, Stadium to him, you know, when you, th- when you play it forward, when you second order think, then that should allow you to do what's in the best interest for today. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a situation that like it's, it should be handled with care based on his resume and everything that he's done. It's like because I always think back like as a Dallas Cowboys fan, like when Jerry bought the team, he fires Tom Landry. But there was no relationship with Jerry and Tom Landry. And like Landry was the legendary head coach of the Cowboys, like the silhouette. Everyone had seen that. But there was none of that relationship there. So for Jerry, he could just say, but, hey, but right, he bought see you the later. brand, though. Yeah. But Femi, he bought the brand. He should have handled that better. Yeah, he bought the brand. And when you buy the brand, he represents the brand, and Landry's going to represent that brand forever. Now, most of this generation doesn't remember Tom Landry, unfortunately. But when you buy the brand, the brand will always remember six Super Bowls. It's, it's unparalleled yeah. in history. And so, you know, now look, if you're spiteful like Jerry was and wouldn't put Jimmy Johnson in the, in the ring of honor, <laughs> then it comes out as spiteful, right? Finally, as Jerry's kind of gotten older and, and has let bygones be bygones, he did the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing takes a long time. But I think if you're doing this now, you have to be, both parties have to represent the future for both, both parties. The crafts about what they, their impact on all this, which is significant. And same thing with Belichick as they move forward. So it, it's got to be handled the right way. And it's got to be handled with five years from today. What, what will this look like in five years? Because the last thing you want is when Bob Knight doesn't show back up to Indiana for 40, 30 years. You don't want yeah. that. That's yeah. not good for the program. Like you, you, you got to keep history in mind and respect all that stuff and everything that he's been able to accomplish there, which like you mentioned, 
unprecedented a 20-year dynasty which i don't think we'll ever see again in the nfl with the crafts brady belichick like everyone involved with that uh, a hell of a year and like we want to see like just like how brady got his day earlier in week one like we want belichick to get his day five years from now and come back to foxborough if they end up parting ways at the end of the season all right we will talk about the games because we have a lot of them that have playoff implications starting with saturday's slate and also the big game in western new york between the cowboys and the bills we'll do it all next here on the gm show All right, Michael, let's hit these Saturday games here real quick because yeah. we have a full Saturday slate game at 10 o'clock West Coast time, 1.30 West Coast time, and 5.15 West Coast time as well. So a full day of football Saturday and Sunday. And starting in Cincinnati where the Bengals are hosting the Vikings right now, the Bengals three-point home favorites, total at 40.5. Justin Jefferson sounds like he's good to go after leaving the game with a rib injury against the Raiders this past Sunday. Uh, I, I liked Minnesota a little bit. I took the three-and-a-half. Uh, what do you like in this game here with the Bengals and the Vikings? Well, I think everybody's on the. I think everybody has been on Minnesota all week. The line has moved, and and when you break the game down, it kind of is a situation where it plays perfectly into Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati doesn't want to run the ball. They could care less about running. They they really don't want to run the ball. They have no interest in. They're thirty first in rushing attempts. You know, they're thirty first in yards. They have no interest in running. And Minnesota's a really good run defense. They're sixth overall in terms of 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 their ability to play the run. They're six overall in terms of just playing good defense. The last two weeks against Jacksonville, who was, who was a, 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 a good defense, but you could throw the ball on them. Cincinnati was outstanding. And Indy, which I think is just too generic defensively, uh, they moved. They scored 34 points, the most points they've scored in two consecutive games all season. They've only scored 34 points once one other time, and that was against the Cardinals. So I, I think you got to give Zach Taylor a lot of credit here, and, and I, I rarely do that, but I think you do, because I think what he's done with the team is he's allowed the quarterback to shine in the areas he needs to shine. This kid has, has thrown the ball accurately 87% of the time on his throws, and he's had five drops, 87% on target with five drops in two games. That's remarkable. That's really good. And they're the best screen team in the National Football League. This Chase Brown kid from Illinois that they, that they drafted has really made a difference to their team. They've really done, made a difference. He's given them explosive plays that are like runs because they're out in space. Screens, bubbles, all those things. So, And they're going to have to throw it a lot to beat Minnesota. I think the unknown is, is as they say on the Sopranos, what's that guy, I forget his name, when he was talking to Richie April, he says, you know, I hate going into the unknown not knowing. Well, this is what we're doing here in this game. We're going into the unknown, not knowing what are we going to get out of Nick Mullen? What are we getting out of Nick Mullen? Like he's 10 and 15 as a starter. He's six and seven on the road. He'll throw a fairly high level of completion. He gets 7.74 yards per attempt in his career, but he's not been accurate. Last week, four of those throws were bad throws out of 13. And they were so bad that he couldn't get intercepted. So I, I think you're, if you're betting like you are, if you're betting Minnesota, you're saying their defense is going to be good. And since he's defense won't be able to really slow down a good Kevin O'Connell team. But then I would say to you this, who's playing in the offensive line for Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, O'Neal, I know he limped off of the game with the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, they've been banged up on that old line. I just think that, like, Mullins, can he be worse than what we saw from Dobbs the past few weeks? Like, Dobbs, no, really, he but, really was bad. But, well, what, what happened with Dobbs? Why, why was Dobbs bad? Teams finally said, you're not going to run the ball on us. Unlike, unlike your boy Joe Barry, who allowed DeVito to run seven times for 71 yards or 10 times for 71 yards, you know, people said, no, Josh Dobbs, you're not beating us with your feet anymore. You got to beat us with your arm from the pocket. And I think that's, that, that's why Dobbs no longer. I thought what Kevin O'Connell did, I thought was great. He gave the kid a chance to be a player, but he couldn't, you know, but look, Minnesota don't want to run the ball either. Since he's bad run defense, they don't want to run the ball. Madison's hurt. We don't know where he'd be. Chandler's a good player. They're going to have to put the ball in Mullen's hands. I don't think weather's going to be a factor. I think I can understand why all the money came in on Minnesota to get that number to three. But I think now at three, for me, it almost doesn't seem like the right play. Like, I don't know what I, I think you could. I think it's going to be a field goal game. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Like the, at three, it's if you're taking plus three, you pretty much think the Vikings are going to win the game because how often does the game land one or two? So there's probably not a whole lot of meat left on that bone there. Three and a half was probably the play. It seems like you're kind of leaning towards Cincinnati if you had to bet it, though. Yeah, I would, because yeah. I think Cincinnati has improved 
their run defense the last two weeks, right? They've only given up about 58 yards rushing in the last two weeks, which has been outstanding. Prior to that, they were giving up 166 yards. In prior three games, they gave up 498 yards, 166 per game. The last two weeks, they've only given up 117, 58.6. So they've played better defense. And the one thing I will say about this Cincinnati Bengal team that you have to be concerned about if you're betting the Vikings is this Bengal team can turn the ball over. That's the one strength they have. They don't turn it over on offense. They're number one in not turning it over on offense. They're number seven on defense in turning it over. And Mullen's going to turn it over. That's going to be the killer. We'll see how it unfolds Saturday afternoon. Steelers are at the Colts. This one might be a playoff game, Michael. The loser would be in a world of hurt in that AFC wildcard race. Indy right now a one and a half point favorite total at 42. TJ Watt, he's cleared protocol. He should be good to go. Still waiting word on Alex Highsmith, but the Steelers will at least have their best player on the field. Yeah, well, at least they get him on there. And look, the, the, this isn't a question of can the, can the Steelers play better defense. They, can, they only have to. I mean, but here's where I'm concerned about this game. Everybody's on Pittsburgh, which for good reason. Mike Tomlin, this is the perfect Mike Tomlin setup, right? It is. He's a dog coming on the road, a must-win game. Defense, Fitzpatrick's back. Defense is playing better. You know, you still got Trubisky. And he's 31-27 and 27 as a starter. You know, and he's 27-28 and 28 against the spread. So, and he hasn't been very good. He has not been very good for either the Steelers or for the Bears. I thought it interesting this week where – they talked about Mason Rudolph coming in and play. Now, Mason Rudolph hasn't, play, hasn't thrown the ball since 2001. I mean, he hasn't played at all, right? So, they're, But they're talking about going to him, and I think they gave him reps because, let's face it, can you trust Trubisky to not turn the ball over? I, I don't think you can. I think you got to be really worried about it. And so that, that, that's what really gives me the concern. And then the other thing that gives me concern, Indy at home, good, but Indy last year, when Shane Steichen, who we can tell from the Eagle offense, they miss him. Yeah. You know, remember that game in Philly? I mean, they threw for 308 yards against the Steelers last year. Now, the Steelers weren't the same team in terms of their pass defense when Philly played them in that game. They didn't try to run the ball on the Steelers. They tried to throw it. I think he understands the Steelers' scheme. And when you get an offensive coach who's as good as Steichen has been and you understand the scheme, you're going to move the football. And you're going to make some plays. And I think, you know, they gave up, what, 21 to the Patriots who really can't score? I, I think this will be – this is a playoff game. You're right. I mean, I lean towards Pittsburgh, but now the line's down to one and a half. It's going to be a pick em game. Yeah, I really do think it comes down to which quarterback do you trust to kind of protect the football, whether it's Minshew, Trubisky, or maybe we even see Mason Rudolph at some point Saturday afternoon. Detroit, the primetime game, Lions hosting the Broncos. Right yeah. now Detroit is a four-point favorite, total at 48. I can't wait to watch this one. Well, this is going to be fun because I think you, you've got one coach who understands what he has to do to win the game, right? This is two teams that, that have to play to their strengths to win. And I think what we've seen out of Detroit is the turnovers, and we've seen that Goff has started to play like he did at the end of his career at the Rams. His interception percentage has gone up. He's gotten hit 21, almost 22% of the time this year. He's gotten pressure. This, this offensive line of Detroit, which we all think is great, and me included, has not played great, right? He has not played great. And so they've got to. Now, they play much better at home. I get that. But Detroit gave them a lot of trouble. Detroit gave that line tr- more trouble than they did the Giant line. Think about that. I mean, excuse me, Green Bay gave this team more trouble than the, than the, than the Giant line. How is that possible? So... But what we're going to see in this game on, Sun, on Saturday afternoon is we're going to see Russell Wilson have to throw the ball. Now, as I said earlier in the show, he's, he's not thrown it more than 38 times all year. He's 24. He, his, he's, he's, uh, rush, his passing attempts are the lowest it's been in, in pretty much all year. His two th- 200 yards per game passing is the lowest of his career. But what I found fascinating about working on Russell this week was Russell is running the ball more and he's getting more first downs than he ever has. Something I've been complaining about with him. He's already has 47 first downs rushing in his career, which ties him for third in his career. Excuse me. He's got 31 first downs rushing. That's third. 47 is the most he's ever had in his career. That was the year they went to the Super Bowl in 14. So he's had the third most rushing attempts in terms of running the ball and getting first downs. 
And that can be a problem if he does it in this game against Detroit because Detroit can't play that. Detroit doesn't like quarterbacks that move around. Yeah, yeah, that's why they've always struggled with uh, Justin Fields. Those movement quarterbacks have given them problems. We, we've gone from let Russ cook to let Russ scoot. We got to let Russ scoot, man. He's out there running, picking up first downs for the Denver Broncos there. Uh, the Sunday afternoon primetime game that everyone's looking forward to, Cowboys at the Bills. Buffalo two-point favorites, total 50 and a half. Doesn't sound like the weather will be too tricky in western New York, no. but you never knew in that area, though. You never know. Yeah, I think the only weather game we really have is we have Jacksonville, Baltimore is going to be wind, and the Miami game is going to be wind, which I think is something to be really concerned about, especially with the way the Jets played defense last week and the way Tua, and we're not sure with Tyreek Hill. Look, Tyreek Hill yeah. Mike is going to play. We know this. But can he cut? Can he change direction? And we know when you take him out of that offense, what happens? To me, everybody's on Buffalo. I don't think there's been a more public and pro play than the Buffalo Bills. But what I worry about is how good is Buffalo's defense? Like this, this Dallas team can really move the football. And the way you get Dallas is you've got to be able to win up front. Can this team, can Ed Oliver, can Broussard, can, I mean, Vaughn Miller's absent again. I mean, I don't know if you noticed him last week, but he really wasn't ever around. And he was playing against the backup left tackle for the Chiefs. So, you know, where is, are they going to be able to play with power against the Cowboys. If the Cowboys want to come out and run the ball against these small linebackers and try to control the game and play, get the ball 36 minutes and win on third down, which the Cowboys have been very good at, I think all these that that just automatically think Cowboys are going to lose is a mistake. Plus, the Cowboys are on turf. They love turf. They're good on turf. I I mean, for me, I think it's a no play. I I think it's just pick the winner. Don't worry about the spread. Just pick the winner. Like I said last week about that game, just pick the winner. In the, in, in the in the Dallas-Philly game, just pick the winner of the spread. Was it going to matter? I think it's the same thing here. I would be all over Dallas. It's just the, the, the my mind keeps saying, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, and I don't trust Dallas's defense. Yeah, I think a lot of the pros and the Joes, for that matter, are playing the spot here with Buffalo because like Dallas, three straight home games, comfy at AT&T Stadium. Now you go outdoors to Western New York. I think a lot of people are maybe just kind of playing the spot here. And I think also a lot of folks just – like Buffalo, like the betting market yep. is infatuated with this team. So if they can get them under a field goal, they're going to go ahead and play that. Real quick, Ravens-Jaguars, who do you think wins that game? Ravens right now three-point favorites on the road. Jags are not a good home team. And I think what we saw last week is Cleveland was able – you can throw the ball in Jacksonville. I think there's no cut. With Tyson Campbell still not healthy, I, 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 think, I think Baltimore – this is the kind of game Baltimore always seems to find a way to win. They lost down there last year, remember? I think that will be in their crawl. Yeah, they gave, they gave that game away last year. Fun pod, though. Obviously, we'll react to everything on Monday, all the Week 15 happenings. Thank you to our producer, Ellie Bowman, as always, on the ones and twos. Thank you to you, Michael. I will talk to you on Monday where we recap everything from around the NFL.